Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Can you still be fulfilled at 40 without the partner, without the children, the career, or the beautiful home, all in the picture? Failure at 40 interviews, debates, and discusses the reality of turning 40. I am really happy. I, I think I found my groove as, you know, I found me. I, I know what makes me tick. Failure at 40. It's like an armor. You're an armor. It's every day you carry the armor around with you because it's, it is now in your DNA. That kind of journey is in your DNA. Nobody can ever do it. I mean, I, I look at it and think, how did I get through five months living in a hospital ward? Failure at 40. Failure at 40 challenges the notion of failure and redefines what success looks like to you. Who says if you haven't reached all of your goals by 40 that you are not a success? Failure at 40 interviews, debates and discusses the reality of turning 40 in modern Britain. Welcome to Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Welcome to another episode of Failure at 40. My name is Shelley, the Life Coach, and today we're speaking to Loretto Mosieling Jato, who's 42, from South London, married with two children. Welcome to the podcast. So tell me a little bit about who Loretto is, where are you from? Um, originally um, tell me about some of those early years uh, and what things stand out for you in your early life I was born in um, South Africa uh, in a long time ago and I'm the youngest of two girls um, I have an older sister who's four years older than me and I um, my parents divorced when I was nine I think that's a big thing that shapes you when you're little um, when your parents separate, because it's something that you're very much used to um, having both of your parents there. <clears throat> and then not only just your parents, but you have the um, other members of your relatives. And so when you when your parents split up, it, you know, you then almost choose a side per se, because even though I didn't have to choose a side, uh, the divorce was very amicable between the two of them. But there's still that thing where your parents are not parenting in the same household. So I think that shaped me quite a bit, um, um, my parents' separation. Um, and I had to learn from them to survive in a different environment. To my, I was out of my comfort zone. Do you kind of mark your, your life from before the divorce and after? Do you, do you ever see it in that way? Yeah, because they're like two different people, but they're the same person because you're growing in a happy home and everything's fine and suddenly it's not and so the people that your core supporters your core community is not is no longer there um, and I think the divorce really did shape me it, it was an amicable divorce some parents have a very messy divorce my parents divorce was not but that still has a, had a huge impact on my life and, and do you think that in the very early stages just that impact impacted who what kind of relationships you looked for or had any weight on that? I don't think so. I think it just, it made me miss the people that I cared about a lot because I have a very large family. My, uh, my father's the youngest of four and he, my mother's an only child, was an only child. And my father's side of the family has lots of nieces and nephews. So I'm used to those people. But when my parents separated, I only had my mom's side of the family. She's an only child. So I went from this massive amount of cousins to just my mom and my grandma and my mom's cousins. Did you feel like you were cut off? No, we're not cut off, but we just didn't see them very often. We didn't see them very often. So I didn't see my dad's family very often. My dad, he wasn't happy. 
few kids, obviously. We were living in a different town. We were living an hour away from him when, when, we, when my parents divorced. And then moved, there was an ocean. Then there was an ocean because we moved countries all together. <laughs> so he had to climatize to that. And was there a reason that mom decided to move? Did she just want a new start or was it a new job? Or No, she did her PhD in the UK. And what, and what was the PhD in for mom? It was in, in women's studies. Okay, right. So, so you're already with a very strong academic woman in your life from early, it sounds like to me. And, and how was that connection between you and your sister as you, as you grew up? Oh, we had a lot. We had, it was a feminist household. My mother obviously separated from my dad. And so we had, she was bringing up these two girls by herself. And um, she had a lot of other strong females in her life. So um, we were surrounded by very powerful women who took no nonsense who guided us, who, were, who wrote books, who wrote, who wrote poetry, who were painters and artists and they acted on stage. So we had this amazing, eclectic um, female cohort. I don't know, a tribe of females around my mom. Yeah, um, I love that. So that I, I, I grew up around uh, no-nonsense taking females. And the, the impact of apartheid at that time, was how did that play out in your, in your time? So we moved here in 1991. So um, South Africa had stopped, but there was no longer segregation. Mandela was out of prison. So we did not come to the UK for political reasons. We came for a different story. Um, so segregation was not really there, I would say. It probably was, and I think probably still is in some aspects, but not really hardcore. Um, so no, it, and I was too little, sorry, to be impacted by it. Yes, yes, um, of course. Because I was 13 and I moved to the UK. So I don't think I have uh, a good narrative or a bad narrative about it. It just, it was in an impact my life. It would have impacted other people's lives. So, so moving from bright, sunny, beautiful South Africa to the <laughs> UK, <laughs> how, how, how did that, how would you explain that in your words? How did that look to that, that young 13-year-old coming here what did that feel like? What was your idea? What was your description? That was quite exciting, the whole build up to it, because, <clears throat> you know, moving countries and it was all exciting. You didn't know where you're going to. I'd never been outside South Africa. I always went to, on holiday to Cape Town or to Durban. So I always used to fly from Joburg to Cape Town or Joburg to Durban, but I had never been on, on, on such a long plane ride before. So that was exciting itself. We did a short haul flight. Um, that was exciting. And moving to the UK, we moved in December. And so we left a very hot place and moved to the cold. And that was a real shocker. I had never <laughs> been that cold in my life. I had never uh, experienced anything like that. I, the, most thing, the most striking thing for me is arriving in the UK and seeing the houses. I had never seen houses like that before. I had never seen terrace houses. They all start together. I can imagine in South Africa, they're, they're, they're flat and lo- low and large. Here, everybody's just little, little squares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have first thought them. I thought, what kind of house? I thought it was, I didn't understand. Is it one house with one entrance? I did not know what was going on there. I did not know how people, how they got in, where they lived. I thought it was like, it looked like a, God, nice. It looked like a coffin. Cause all yeah, because it's all three together, isn't it? Yeah. So I did not know. Was, and we moved up to West Yorkshire. So I lived in West Yorkshire. I lived in Shipley in Bradford. And so the architecture was very different to London architecture. 
Okay. And it was super cold. Uh, it was a real shock to the system. And, and how long were you there for? I moved there in in when I was 13 and I left a ship then moved to London when I was 19. Okay. And, and was that a conscious decision of, I need to see more of London or what, what made you want to leave there? We, I left with my best friend because we wanted to go out clubbing and listen to black music. That's literally <laughs> you know, it. You know, the whole area <laughs> for the rave. <laughs> for the rave, London was popping. I hear that. <laughs> I hear that. And was there nothing? Was there nothing in your area? No, there was nothing. Bradford is not a, a, a city you, you go to for anything apart from maybe uh, a curry and the university. So my friend, my best friend and I were like, we like, we're both black. We like black music. Let's go down to London. So every time we got a little bit of money, we take the coach down to London and go raving and uh, buy CDs because you couldn't get certain music in, 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 in Bradford. So we'd go buy, you know, the latest Anne Hall CD, the latest, I don't know. Um, Black Street or anything. We were always thinking for the black stuff. That you know? era. Um, know that era. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That R&B and boys to men. So good. At all the, you know, to see. All of that. <laughs> so we were always in London. Every weekend, like, get on the coach. It was like a four-hour drive from Bradford to London. Did you feel like coming to London <laughs> was almost like being emerged back into not necessarily your culture but just to blackness not necessarily you know just yes. your culture yes definitely definitely my best friend and I gravitated towards each other because we were both lacking the melanin of 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 a black best friend we we're both black there's a very small population of black people in Bradford so we always like just like a, like magnets towards each other so for the love of music, the love of our culture, the love of having to, you know, being able to buy your hair braid stuff, your hair products, go to London. If you want to buy some yam, some coconut Banana. milk, some good spices. <laughs> we were coming to London for, for the reasons of just achieving our blackness. Yes. And I think it's interesting what you say about sort of um, vying to somebody who looks like you and, and needing a little bit of that melanin connection. Yeah. Because quite often I think it's taken for granted how much yeah. just to see somebody who looks like you, you know, is, is powerful. <laughs> it's powerful. You know, I remember when I'm, I started working where I was, it was mainly um, predominantly people of a white background. And as the years went on, there were, I saw more and more people coming in with cane rolls, you know, people are cooking curry goat in the staff room, you know, there's all sorts <laughs> yeah. going on and you could just see just the demographic changing and the color just popping, you know, people are speaking in dialect, patwa, all sorts, you know, next minute, you know, you know, your, your white colleagues have got cane roll too. <laughs> it's always, you know, as well as walking in, in a town and being, um, I don't know, because in, in Bradford, all the black people might have not known each other's names, but we knew each other by, you know, the head knock thing, because I've seen you before. So in yeah. London, you were anonymous. You were just like a person. You know, you'd go to Brixton and nobody, you didn't have to say hi to nobody. You wanted, if you want to say hello to them, you could do, but you, you, you were anonymous. You were just another person. Yes. So you had another, an identity of yourself. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. We, we went to London for that reason that, you know, uh, we were just finding our feet of being young black women in a city, in a country that's not as black as other places. 
And so how did that transpire and work out for both of you? What was the, the road and journey? So how was it about 19, 20? I was 19. Um, she's, a, she's five years older than me. And uh, we, we, she had a little flat in, in um, Walthamstow. And I, no, I was a bed sit. I moved in with her. We lived with each other for three months. Yes. Under each other's feet. That was a bit crazy. But we had to survive because we knew we were trying to save money for, you know, an actual flat. And we ended up moving three months later to another part of London, southwest London, closer to Croydon. And um, we lived there in a little flat uh, for a while. And that was fun. But I think it was finding our, our, our feet and learning to survive and getting jobs and making sure you keep in touch with family so they know that you're alive and doing well and you're eating and washing your clothes. Did you come and study while you were here or did you come and... No, I came, I came to... I took a gap year. I was supposed to go back to college because I had just finished doing a beauty therapy course, hair and beauty course in Bradford. And I took um, a gap year to... So you came to party? Back and you came, you came to party? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, I, and, and see black boys... <laughs> oh the oh the chocolate oh, okay yes you know there yeah. wasn't a lot of that happening up in Bradford so <laughs> I to see the talent and so I worked in Brixton uh in a restaurant while I found a job in my sector in beauty therapy that took about three months um and finally I've got a job in um we started in Wimbledon we're both beauty therapists so she was working in um in Isha and I was working in Wimbledon and when did that relationship, that friendship sort of, not part, but when did you kind of go out on your, on your own, as it were? Oh, I still haven't. I spoke to her today. <laughs> you know, so you know some of those friends, that they are not going anywhere. Yes. They better understand you. <laughs> we've been, we've been called each other for about an hour today. No, <laughs> she ain't going nowhere. Um, it so is what it we, is. You know, we, it is what it is. And, uh, um, you know, it's not just a friendship, it's a sisterhood. Her family's my family, my family's her family. Yes. So um, we've been through the wars together. I mean, we shared a bit. So I was like, we shared a bit, so we shared everything now, you know. So this is, we're looking at your 20s here now, I'm thinking. I am in my 20s. I had my 21st birthday in London in a very dodgy club. Um, Can you name that club? I, I think it was either Samantha's or Cork's. <laughs> yes, we do know those ones. Well there. <laughs> um, and that was very fun. I mean, those sort of like 19 to sort of 23 was a very fun time because it is self discovery. You are learning to manage your money yet have fun. And so it, it's a life lesson. <clears throat> I was living, we're living together and um, paying bills, renting a flat, eating traveling, you know, paying for your travel, paying your council tax and still managing to have fun and, and also make a way in your career because you have to be serious at that point because you, yeah, because even though you're having fun, you have to be serious. And at that time, had you considered what your future might look like for you, what 40 potentially could have been? Was that even on your radar? You know, 40 seemed really far away when you're like 22. It's it still far like, now. It's still far it now. It still is, yeah. <laughs> it's still like, what happened? When's 40? I think I thought of 40 as, if you meet people who are 40, you think, oh, they look really serious. 
<laughs> I had not considered. Yeah, they were really like, oh, they really have serious. like, yeah. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> right? Nobody's saying, no like, one's smiling. No. Yeah. They say things like, they talk about school a lot, about the kids' school. I remember thinking, wow, this seems like a lot of hectic time for just getting people into school or, you know, make sure they get into the right school or tutoring them. And Gosh, like, it just seemed really I, I've hectic. Become that, I've become that person. Oh, I've become that yes. person. I didn't think yeah. I was. <laughs> 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 you're looking, you're scrolling through like, is this a good school? Yeah, you're scrolling through papers. You're constantly reading about schools. Yeah. So, and I just remember people, because I was a beauty therapist working in Wimbledon at that time. And Wimbledon is obviously, has a certain type of mother and father, you know, type of parents. So um, they're all high powered, highly strung, or the second home somewhere, either in the Cotswold or <laughs> somewhere else. So I thought, wow, 40 is very, very confusing. Yeah. Because they're all trying to get their kids into tennis academies or into skiing or they'd have, you know, they'd go to Chamonix for skiing. They were always, it was a hectic time. And I think it introduced me to a different kind of life because say had I worked somewhere else in London or outside the, a different part of the world, I don't think I'd have had maybe the same drive Sure. Then it made you realize that you have to be serious to achieve some of the things they achieved. You know, some people had homes, as I say, in Chamonix, in France, or houses, homes in Spain. Um, then, you know, to be serious about like children's education, they talked about schools a lot. I was not familiar at, at all with London schools. So that introduced me to those conversations about, oh, okay, this school is better. That school is not as good. So it sounds to me like some of those conversations broadened your horizon and uh, from early age and, and exposed you this different demographic. Definitely did, because um, uh, when I read a lot, I enjoyed reading a lot. So whenever I spoke to my clients, I always talk about books, but, you know, they, I got to know them very well. We started talking about personal things and that's when you get to discover what their lives are like. Now, oh, okay. So people at this age are trying to get their kids into this secondary school and they get into the secondary school by doing this, that, and the other. So by the time I was old enough, I was then able to navigate myself in in that manner, in that fashion of, okay, this kind of, you know, to, to put myself in those places. And I think that really did broaden my mind. Had I worked somewhere else, I don't think I'd have had those same conversations. Those conversations prepared me for the 40s that I was not where, where I was going to end up being at. Of course. And do you think any of those um, things that you saw were exposed to kind of got you thinking, I'd like that for myself. And even if it wasn't oh, exactly yeah. that, there were some aspirations or, you know, ins- you were inspired maybe by some things as well. And I think because, as I said, um, I mean, joking, I said that it was confusing, but they were very settled people. They didn't have a lot of, I don't know what you say, what highlight in their life. You know, they were settled. They were content. Okay, some of them, some of them are fakers, obviously, because you find that in life. But I think those conversations made me realize that you have to be, probably aspire a bit more because I'd speak to some of them and say they would purposely move to a certain area to get that child into a certain secondary school, all these kind of things. And as I say, I would not have had those conversations had I worked somewhere else in a different area. I don't think because you don't meet people of of. You know, your your working life is not revolving door. We have conversations after conversation with different people on different uh, spectrums. So I was able to then have a broad um, look on life because I knew people from America, I knew people from the Asian, you know, uh, the Asians, I knew people from um, 
Africa, mainly, never really from Africa as much as we, a lot of European people and the, and, and the States and Canada and Australia. But generally, you meet the odd person from a very, very interesting background. You meet, you meet uh, people who are working in telly, you meet people who are working on stage, uh, people who are working as producers of shows, doctors, lawyers. So it was very enriching, constantly enriching, and constantly you on your toes. You know, you. I was bored in my mind. As I said, I read a lot of books, so I was able to converse with them about the books I was reading. And but it it was just a general topic of of how their lives were, how my life was, and they tried to mirror that to see because it was so settled. Their lives were so settled. They think, oh, I want that settled. I want to be that settled. And I guess they gave you they gave you um, a window to their world in lots of ways. Um, and and I guess there's so much value in that. And I was wondering. Actually, you also probably already had come up with certain values anyway. You know, you, you know, you're coming from two parent family home. You know, you, you're travelled. You know, you're read, well read. You know, so that, there's something in that as well because you've done stuff that a lot of young people don't always get the opportunity, or the courage, or the confidence to do. You know, um, and, I, and I wonder if, if some of that is part of um, your makeup that's made you who you are in so many ways. I think so. I think as you know, you, you're grafting. You're grafting a lot. Because if to get a job in, in certain in the sector I was working in, in the place I was working, you have to put yourself above the pulpit. So I had to shine at my interview. I had to shine constantly at work. So I, I think that's what pushes you and challenges you every day. And every day you turn up, you have to turn up and perform. You know, you're like a a circus almost. You can never because you're treating people. So what has been some of that more of that career, profession, business journey? for you what what were some of the directions that you went in from Wimbledon from Wimbledon I worked in I worked in different salons across London I worked in Notting Hill I worked in um, Belgravia I worked quite a lot in that area of central London um and I and I then decided to when I was 28 I decided to go do uh um a degree then the College of Fashion um, in in kind of spa management because I had worked for so many people and I liked the industry and I it gave me a lot, but I wanted to probably do a bit more and maybe possibly do my own thing. I wasn't yet too sure about that. I wanted to do that, but that was I was sure about it, but it was financials that made me decide it was going to decide if it was possible or not. <clears throat> and I as the same year I started my degree, I was lucky enough to find a property that was um, uh, that I could use for my business. And I, the same year I was in my second in my second year, I opened up my own um, salon. So, were you still, at this time? Are you still living with Bestie? In, in oh, at this time, no, I was married at this point. She was married, and I was married. Okay, so we want to come back a little bit. Because to me, there seems like this, you know, you came here, there was raving going on, there was working in Wimbledon and and then we got a business and we got married. Um, So I feel like we've missed a bit here, a a, a pinnacle bit of your 20s. So you got married in your 20s. Let me sew it up together for you. So when I was out raving with Bestie um, and other friends, we were in a club in London, dodgy again. (laughs) (laughs) Dodgy dodgy London club. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um and uh i i i was 22 and i met a young chap and um and yeah so we 
dated and uh, uh, we got married five years later when I was 27. So, so you met this young chap. Yes. Um, and and am I thinking you just you were besotted with this young man and you thought, OK, he's mm. no. Mm. OK, was that too much? I don't know. I don't know. He was a very sweet guy. Um, and I think because my bestie had already been she'd been married for. No, she wasn't married yet. She was in a relationship. So you kind of go out a little, little bit less because she was really. In a relationship, so um, I think my time to mellow into a relationship was probably the right time. Less raves, uh, less late nights. What was it about this young sweet chap, as you said, that that um, made you think, okay, actually, I can make an honest man of him and um, and, and get married? I think when I was because I was twenty two, and you never know what you're, you know, really what you're looking for at twenty two, and he was twenty five at the time. I was a few months before my 23rd birthday. I was, I was just looking for, and I think we we're both just wanting to see where it went. He was a very nice young person. He was polite. He was kind. He was funny. He was charming. He was well-read, well-spoken, educated. Uh, we we're very similar in terms of like similar music. He didn't, he didn't like slow jams. He still doesn't like slow jams. I like slow jams. <laughs> but we liked all the, sort of the early 90s music. You knew Jack Swing and rap and hip hop. So the whole um, London culture and the black culture kind of, we gravitated towards each other based on that. And um, it was a fun time. It was a hot summer. <laughs> it was a good time to meet somebody and chill out with. And that kind of grew. It itself just grew. And I met his friends. He met my friends. You know, when these things happen, it, it, it changes sort of how you look at, things and relationships become a nice place to be in and he we just it worked together it sounds like you just really aligned and gelled naturally together on, on the journey and I and I guess you know now in 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 London this this age and this life it, it can be very difficult with the rise of social media dating apps to get this this nice kind of general alignment this sort of synergy with someone um so it's beautiful oh I think it is because you I, I've I feel like the social media is a noise because you always, you never, you know, if, you, if you're looking through social media say you're looking for a pillow, you're not, you're not going to find a pillow that you want because there's always a better pillow. And I think dating is almost like that at this time in life because you're always, the person you're always saying, oh, I'm sure I can do better than that or they can do better than that because you never, your eyes are never in one, in one place. I your, think it's your belly is never full, dangerous. Oh gosh, never. <laughs> never. Your belly is never full. <laughs> never full. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So you so you got married at 28? 20, just before my 28th birthday. 20, I was 27 at the time. And um, what would you say some of your aspirations? So you got married, sorry, just before you're 28 and opened your own business. Uh, opened my own business the year after. Okay. And was that born out of a, a joint push between you and your husband at the time? Or was that just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is on my mind. Are you supporting me? That's great. This is what we're doing. It was a joint thing in terms of we were both, um, he knew what I wanted to do. He supported what I was doing um, and he found me doing the same industry. So it was almost natural. And at this point I had some private clients I was doing as well. So I'd, I'd go to their homes um, because I was studying. Um, and so he, he it, was a, it was natural for me to be in that sector. So we, we found the place, we were together when we found the place. 
uh, that I ended up uh, taking on as my business. Um, so it, it was a joint venture at that point, yes. But he was very much hands-off, completely hands-off in terms of he didn't, he didn't know the industry. He did not know the industry at all. Uh, it's a very large industry and he knew nothing. He, might, he, knows, he knows the technology now, but at the time he knew nothing. He was like, oh, what's all these words? All these products he knew, you know. Yes, of course. And, and I guess as, as time's gone on, you, you've kind of um, evolved in your business, evolved in your, your, your relationship and your endeavours. And um, tell me a little bit about that. The evolution of Loretta. <laughs> Yeah, the, the business aspect is I grew so much because I have been working in it since the age of like 19. But working and actually employing people is a completely different genre. Um, I grew. I grew as a person. I grew as a, um, a, a, as an employer, an employee. Um, I was very much focused on having a good strategy in my business uh, because when you employ people, you need to make sure they're happy. And if they're not happy, they don't do a good job. Absolutely. And it shows. And we're clients, you know, it's a client-facing business. So I, I, I grew a lot. I learned so much that I, I don't know. There's no book that will fill my lessons. Every day was a different story. Even if you saw the same client for a week or every week the same client, they would present to you a different scenario of what they wanted that day. So you always have to be on your toes, be ready to perform be ready to give. And what would you say some of the challenges that you've encountered or even described as what people might describe as failures along the way, hiccups, obstacles, things that you've encountered towards the age of 40 that, um, yeah, have been... Business-wise or personal-wise? Both. Either either way, whichever one. I think it's relationships with people. I think sometimes you you read people in an incorrect manner or they read you. So I, I feel like I've lost some friends and gained some friends. I've found friendship, but I didn't think I'd found friendship. Our friendship per se, you know, I would say I, I wouldn't have thought, you know. So I would say I, I, I look at things, I think, wow, um, we now have to always look, go into a situation, you know, with a pure heart and to see how, it, how, it, how you feel and really try to relate to other person's feelings. Uh, to make sure that they they were both feeling the same way. I would say, I've, wow, it's it's been an, it's an interesting journey. Reaching forty has been interesting. I was never shocked about reaching forty. When I finally got there, I was just like, oh, I'm here. Yes, I've arrived. Yeah, and that, when I reached forty, one thing that really shocked me is I had lost both my parents at this point when I was forty. Both my parents had now died. I was an adult orphan at forty. Your parents didn't die at four, when you were 40. When did they pass away? My dad died uh, nine years now. Oh my gosh, let me think. Um, is it nine or is it eight? My mom was eight years ago and my dad was nine years ago or 10 years ago. So it was a year apart between the two of them. But it was a shock. It was, it was not expected. It was that for both? With both parents? Yeah, both of them. It was very sudden. Not it was it was not expected. But I think when I reached forty, that's one of the biggest things I never thought would have happened when I was growing up. Because I guess potentially they're still quite young in lots of ways. They would have still been quite young. When I say young, you know, like we're looking at eighties now. Yeah, absolutely. Like my my mum still had her mum when she was forty. My dad still had his mum at forty. So I was not expecting that. Um, 
So, so that was a complete, you know, like, oh, okay, that has happened. And then you're in, you're in your forty. How did you, that sort of impact how you then went forward in looking at, at your future? Because that, that happened in your 30s, your early 30s, yes? Yeah, I, I think I was thinking to myself, okay, you've got to enjoy life. Because I think my mom, no, I think my mom died, she, she retired in April and she died in November. And I was thinking, okay, one thing she would, you've got to do is really enjoy yourself. Yes. Within reason, you know, because you just never know um, how, how your life will be and when you will go. So I was like, okay, I wasn't shocked. I was just really excited to be 40. It, it just seemed like a real, <laughs> I can't explain. It was like, okay, so this is what the big four is. I didn't have a party. I didn't, I was really too busy to have a party. Um, and I'd always hoped to have a party. So I think one day I'll have one. And um, do you think you will be looking at your, I guess your, well, you're quite far from 50 at the minute. <laughs> but, do, but do you think what you envision for yourself going forward to 50 would be more planned than it might be towards your 40th? Even though I think you've done a lot between 30 to 40, to be fair. Because um, if, I, if I think, if I just kind of probe a little bit more, I'm thinking you're also a homeowner, so you're into properties, etc. Um, and 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 when and that's just not just your commercial properties in terms of businesses, but but also, you know, tell us a little bit more about that and your interest in bricks and mortar, as it were. When I met my husband, he already had a property, and so he's very interested in property, and his family also own property. But he he was doing so much with his property purchasing that I learned a lot from him. So we own some property based on the fact that. Um, you know, you know how to look for mortgages, you know how to look for right properties to buy. Um, so that helps us. But I, 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 I really enjoy property and I want to stay in it. I think it's a good thing to have your money invested in. I also own property outside the UK. We have, after mom died, we owned the house in, in Johannesburg um, that she had. And so um, I think, you know, we have, We've we we have achieved a lot. I have achieved. I think I've achieved a lot for somebody my age, and I hopefully by the time I'm fifty, I hope to have achieved more and be quite settled. I feel settled at the moment, but I I look at my children's age. I think when I'm fifty, well, they'll be quite grown up ish. They'll be kind of nearly teenagers, and yeah, I remember being a teenager and how nice it was to be with my mum. Failure at forty. Failure at forty. I was just about to say that I'm not sure if you heard about this, this kind of almost one in one out sort of thing. Like, you know, yeah. sometimes life, yeah. life leads on one hand and comes back in another. Um, because similarly, like my, my grandparents died, like maybe both of them died like a week before I had my son, a day apart. I was just like, hold on, hold on, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's going on here? Have yeah. you guys planned this? Definitely. I was just going to talk about the journey, the journey to motherhood how that's been for you. So when I was, um, I, I had my first child when I was, uh, hold on a second, I think 33. I had my first baby, but I was pregnant when I was, my first pregnancy, uh, I was uh, 30 and I lost that baby. Okay. And then I had another pregnancy the year after that and I lost that baby. And then I had a gap. I was like, that's too much. That's just too much. Then I got pregnant again. I lost that baby and I was like okay what's going on um so when I had my eldest 
I was like, okay, is this going to ever happen or is it not going to happen? And um, I already had a consultant at St. George's in Tutin by that point. And he got me through that journey. He, he's a brilliant doctor. And I think because um, I've heard, <clears throat> excuse me, I heard the stats about black women and yes. pregnancy death or just having, not having good pregnancies and not being understood. He's a yes. black doctor and he's, his research, I think, he, he says a lot of black women miscarry quite late in their pregnancies and all three of my miscarriages were very late miscarriages. Um, and I think he understood what to do and he championed for my care because my care at St. George's would have not happened had it not been my, that consultant because he knew what I needed and he knew when I needed it, uh, what I needed. And he, um, he took very good care of me. And I think that was, he's a brilliant doctor. And I think the hospital I went to was a brilliant hospital. Prior to that, I was in a, a, a different hospital in London, which I'm not going to name. The care was terrible. Do you think that the practice and the care given by that, the particular doctor at St. George's made the difference to the outcome? Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Because I had lost my first baby at a different hospital in London. And I, when I met him, I was, I was already through my second pregnancy. And I was in the midst of losing that baby when I met him. And he's like, look, I don't know you. And you, well, I can read your notes and say this has happened, but I don't know your, your history is telling it's on paper, but I need to see how your body works. Yes. And so... And he said, you're losing this baby. So I lost that baby. And the second, the third pregnancy, when I lost the baby with him again, he said, um, I, your body is doing this, that, and the other. He was telling me how I was reacting to all these uh, medications and so forth and the treatments was giving me. And he just says, uh, but I feel like I now know what you need. So he told me that he wasn't sure that he could get me through it. He's going to try his best. And I think that's the most honest thing a doctor could tell you is I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to look at it in a different way, in a different fashion and get you through it. Because doctors will tell you, oh, I can get you through it. I'll say, oh, there's no hope. But he says, I don't know. I'm going to see what happens. And I thought that was the most honest thing ever. And we got through that because of him and his care. And I, that I definitely, he is one of the best doctors I've met. But you know, when you, when you are in that journey, like, is this going to be the real time when you get to hold a baby? But I, it was tough. And I, and I think when I meet other women who have difficult pregnancies, I, you always have to put yourself in that position because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's, it's a minefield. You have all these hormones surging through your body anyway, so you're not, you're not <laughs> rooted. And then on top of that, you have a pregnancy that is a bit dodgy. So you need to then give the person your time, your thoughts, calm them steer them in the right direction and I think I didn't necessarily have that but I was I was very calm so you know even through all the losses I've had I was very calm because I was like you know I, it's a journey it's an unknown journey is this going to be the end where you have a baby or not have a baby you know and I try and tell people things to inspire them you know I've got friends who maybe are in their 40s and haven't had children yet and think it won't happen for them or they've had several miscarriages and that's impacted them mentally and they thought like, okay, this, this can't happen for me. And just to hear a story, a positive story, you know, of somebody actually who has been through, come through, gone through, come through, and has still gone to have what she wanted at the end. You know, I think will be so comforting to so many women. 
who, who may not have these stories in their repertoire and might not be in their arsenal, you know? So I think it's really important. I'm thankful for you for sharing it as well. Thank you for letting me share it. It's, it's an important story. It's an important story. It's like an armor. You're an armor. It's every day you carry the armor around with you because it's, it is now in your DNA. That kind of journey is in your DNA. Nobody can ever do it. I mean, I, I look at it and think, how did I get through five months living in a hospital ward? And I'm allowed to go downstairs by myself. It was crazy. The crazy food, the hot, the smell of the hospital used to make me think, okay, that's it. I've had enough. I'm out. I'm going to climb out the window, but then the window won't open because it only opens a gap. <laughs> and they have different people rotating in on a daily basis. Sometimes, you know, you were the only ones the long stairs, so the other people are coming in for just a few hours and going home. So it was really a crazy time. And for you to get through that, it's, you have to, almost put an arm over there he's like yep I'm ready for this battle absolutely and I think when we talk about failures and you know that word in itself I feel is very almost very damning for people and it all it almost makes it sound like somehow you're inadequate in some way um and it doesn't allow you to 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 see that experience as just a, a learning curve for you you know, or a stepping stone or a, a positive experience that you can now go forward and, and do something else again, you know? And I, I think many women who maybe can have children, can't have children, aren't married, want to be married, you know, sorts of things can, and men as well, you know, men, I've got quite a few men friends who don't have children in their forties and they, and they feel somehow that they're inadequate, you know, or they're not married yet as well. And I think women kind of feel that this is just for them. It's not. You know, um, and, and I guess it's about just taking those things on board and thinking, actually, it's not a, it's not a failure. It's not a slant on you. But but the society might have you think, actually, if you've not got these things in place somehow, it's about you. You know, and actually it's, it's not so much. And I guess that's why I was asking you just a little bit more about, you know, what things kind of have been an obstacle, not obstacles, I guess, but more things that you've looked back on and kind of thought, OK, that that was difficult for me. And I think you've just kind of mentioned some. But what does life look like for you now? I am really happy. I, I think I found my groove. As you know, I found me. I, I know what makes me tick. I have aspirations I'd like, and I have things I think I should have achieved and I haven't yet achieved. I thought I'd have a six pack, but I don't have one. Oh, um, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, I have, you know, Janet Jackson's abs in, in one of the videos that she had, but I don't. It's okay. <laughs> but oh I goodness. found me. I I found the things I like. I like the food I like. I I exercise when I need to exercise when I feel like exercising. I I've I found what makes me tick. I've got the right kind of friends around me. I don't like, um, you know, at this age. And I think you know what I mean. You meet people who haven't yet found themselves, and their energy is not right. And when you get close to them, the energy is all wrong because they're looking for validation in other places that you think that is not me. So I don't have those friends around me because I don't need to always question myself. I know who I am. I have great family around me. And it's easily done to have people around you who may not necessarily feed into your energy circle at that time, but, but they continue to be there and, they, and, they, yeah. and it's just draining. You know, it's draining, it's toxic, it's not positive. The things I want, I have in terms of not monetary value, but the, the things that I really, really value. The things I do want, I don't really have, but the things that will keep me happy and ticking and circulating, 
I have in my life or I have friends, I have the family, I have um, good food and uh, plenty of water and children that I love and a husband who loves me, that we all love each other. So we, I'm a happy person at this point in my life. And, the, and these are the things, I guess, during these, this lifetime that, you know, are things to consider is what we call success, what we see as true value um, and, and how how relevant is that to us rather than getting that through other people because I think often circles friends society family can say well actually you should be doing this by this age and it for you you may say well actually that doesn't fulfill me you know doesn't feel like this to me I don't need that to validate myself actually I need this and this is what I want so those are issues I would like to make stronger but they're not yet stronger in terms of you know people are very close to me but I'm very happy with the ones that are Strong. and I'm, I'm still working on others yes got got eye on them got to keep an eye keep keep an eye out yes <laughs> no, no absolutely and I guess we're continuously reviewing where we're at you know what we're happy with you know and, and and what we're not and I guess that's the beauty of life that you know while we're here and we have that time that that we continue to do to do that to, to some degree what would you say um life will look like for you at 50 what do you, what do you want it to look like for you Wow, I want to, I might work on those abs, maybe, you know. <laughs> xylophone, know. <laughs> xylophone abs, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ones you can put ribs um, on, you can put some ribs exactly, on there. Exactly, and just exactly. I could just spray paint them on. <laughs> <laughs> those are my favourite kinds. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, get a transfer of the abs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I... Read a bit more. I used to read a lot more and I think I stopped reading as much because I, the kids, your evening is taken up by being a mom. So I used to read a lot. I want to read, go back to reading a lot more. Um, so by 50, read a lot of the books that I have that I haven't read and other books people recommend to me. Um, I would like to um, be healthier, um, have close up even the people that are really close to me have them even more closer to me um any relationships that I've broken fix those relationships see more of my sister her children I have she's got two beautiful kids I like to see more of them see her more um go on holiday with some girls I want a girly holiday <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Um, yeah so I, I just and read read be happy you know celebrate birthdays in a normal fashion without masks like we are doing at the moment so, so having like grown up in South Africa come to the UK are you happy with this being the place that you want to raise your children yes and no uh, we are looking to um, go to South Africa at some point uh, and what, what's fueling move the uk is great but i think there's more to life there's more i want my children to grow up especially being little black girls grow up seeing themselves on tv in terms of not them personally per se but other people who look like them representing them in a really positive way i want my children to turn on the news and see a black newsreader if a doctor comes to be interviewed on the TV, it's a black female or another female or, or black woman or white woman. But majority of the narrative, of the daily narration has to be on a black level. 
I want them to be confident young black women. And I don't think, I think the UK is great, but I don't think he's going to give me that at this point in time. I, when I was growing up, I found myself not seeing things. It hasn't changed much on TV. There was more of Stuart reading the news when I was a young girl and more of Stuart and Zainab Badawi. And I think nowadays we've got Charlene and uh, this lady on Sky News. So I think we've got two female black presenters on the TV who are reading the news. Same thing when I was growing up, back in the 1990s. So I want my children to maybe see about seven women reading the news across the channels. Um, it's, been, it's not changed. And I want to them to have a positive outlook on life. So I think the UK at some point is not going to be for my family. It's going to have to be a different place where um, the climate is warmer, but I want my children to to see themselves on, on a daily basis in positive light. There isn't enough for, we, there are a lot of black people living in the UK. They're, we're not represented on the TV. No, not enough not. at all. Not enough so at all. So I want them to, to, to open a book and be a story about, you know, a, a good story about maybe the kids living a normal life. When you see children on the TV, it's always, I mean, yes, crime does happen, but with the time on TV, it's always been reported about a crime that's been committed somewhere. It's not just a happy-go-lucky family of normal. It's not, and even watching children's TV, um, it's not, the stories are not good. Uh, on on black children, so I it's want not, my kids. It's not to reflective of enough of the demographic it at doesn't. all. And I don't see how children of of all backgrounds are able to be fulfilling and see themselves and their identity if we continue to only focus on one particular group. Yeah, I agree. We are living in a in a country that is very much we're, we're still a minority. I think we like make up one percent. I understand that. You can watch TV from like six pm till nine pm. You might see only like like four black people. And that's not how the UK is. So I want my children to grow up in a place where they also learn about what jobs we do because, you know, we only see, we don't have, we don't have enough, we don't cover enough scope about the different jobs that are available out there in the world because it's the same stories all the time. So my children live in a different country, learning a different way of life, learning a different language, seeing different people, how other people live, I think it'd be very enriching for them. And I don't think that's going to fulfill the UK will fulfill that at this current moment, you know, the eight and six, <clears throat> then now seeing the differences in, in people, in themselves, and I want them to see more of themselves rather than less of themselves. They're not rep- we're not represented. We're not represented enough. No, no, I definitely agree. And what would you say you would tell your younger self if you were to think back? To learn to bogle properly. I'm kidding. <laughs> to bogle and butterfly at the same time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that Very is Very important. Yeah. If you haven't yeah. got it, yeah. gosh. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, I would tell, my, you know, <clears throat> I have no clue what I would tell my younger self. I think listen more. Listen more. Ask more questions. One thing, as um, not just my parents who have died, other family members who are elderly, I want to spend more time knowing that story. And I don't think, I think it's at a time my younger self listen and ask questions about their lives. My mother had a very interesting life. I know some of it. I don't know enough of it. Um, and same thing with my father. My mum, my grandmother on both sides were amazing people. And I 
wish I would have spent more time. That's why I tell my younger self, spend more time with the elders and learn from them, learn their ways, learn how they have navigated their lives to this point. And I, and I, that I would have been so great. Awesome. And I think we often take for granted how much wealth of knowledge our elders have. How much, my grandparents used to make me laugh from the moment I stepped in the place, you know, and I used to always think, oh my goodness, you guys would be my best friends. You guys are my best friends, you know, but you know, if, if you weren't my grandparents, I'd want you to be my friends. Absolutely. Um, and I think exactly what you're saying is so powerful and so real, you know, spending times with people who have lived a journey before us, you know, yeah. and who, who were young, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and giving them that space to really enlighten our own past is um, a necessary thing. My grandma did not get her life in South Africa during both of my grandparents and my parents as well during the whole segregation time. And I think I should have asked more questions about that whole time because it didn't affect me, but it would have been so interesting so much more about how their lives were. <clears throat> and then having a mother who was educated thinking she grew, up, she grew up in South Africa at that time. So how did she navigate herself and, you know, to go to the schools that she did? Yes, I, I guess that was part of my one of the earlier questions that I was thinking about when I was talking to you was just how because it's obviously still within the fabric of society to a degree, but maybe just not so apparent. And I was just wondering if if it was something you had you had noticed or, you know, had taken place. But I understand it hasn't done. It, I mean, it is. It is. There. It's just like UK. People do say things, make comments, but it, you know, the laws don't allow it. So they can only say and make comments. and separate themselves from you without them get themselves getting into trouble uh, because it's not, it's not, it's illegal. So when I was growing up, I guess I was born in 78. There were still some laws from the olden days, but by the time I was aware of it, I was, I would say the same racism I faced in the UK, I faced in South Africa as a child. So there was no, there were, there were no laws written down at that point saying you could not do this by the time I was aware of differences of races. Well, you know, at the moment in the UK, we're looking at this new policing sort of sentencing bill that they're looking to pass in Parliament, um, which will give the, the police a lot of powers um, in a lot of different ways uh, over um, us civilians. And, and I guess I'm just thinking about what you're saying in terms of actually growing up South Africa could have probably been very similar to what you might have experienced now, you know, um, possi possibly, do you know? Because, I mean, the, yeah. the, the UK, great place to live, but has got its flaws. Um, like oh, it anywhere. has, it has. Yeah, yeah, it really has. You know, um, and a lot of these things are quite quietly hidden um, and, and aren't always in your face. And sometimes they are in your face. Um, but definitely these new laws will, will be looking at that more so. It's been really nice talking to you. And I, and I guess I've, I've really just... Learn, learn more about you. I mean, you've always been very open and, I, and you've never, you know, been somebody who's, who's hidden things. You've always been very kind of like, look, you know, this is, this is my journey without publicizing it. And, and I guess I've been able to take so much pearls of wisdom from you, but also this, 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 this light you've got. I've got to say it, this, this energy, this shining light oh, that you've got. You. And, I, and I hope you will continue to keep that, that glowing, keep it shining, keep it burning and don't let anybody dim it, please. I will not. If anybody wanted to find you or talk to you, where would they find you? I am on Instagram. I very rarely check it. Uh, it's Lerato LMJ Lerato. And on my Facebook, it's my name. And I don't do Twitter. And I'm not very active on social media, but I do check it. 
Well, that's great because I'm sure there might be um, some of our our listeners might want to touch base with you, maybe just to you know pick your brain or get some advice and tips. Um, so that would be amazing. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time, and um, I'm hoping you'll come back on again. I will do, but thank you for creating this platform. My absolute pleasure. Failure at forty. Welcome to failure at forty. 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 Failure at forty.